Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet. Each week, I'll be bringing you stories of people living lives of fruitful service, of peace, community, compassion, creative action, and progressive efforts. I'll be tracing the spiritual roots that support and nourish them in their service, hoping to inspire and encourage you to sink deep roots and produce sacred fruit in your own life. Let us sing song for the dream. Today for Spirit in Action, we'll be speaking to Don Morningstar, whose mission is to do no less than transform the world, and her method of reaching that lofty goal is through the transforming work of women. Her latest book is Venerable Women, Transform Ourselves, Transform the World. Dawn has spent years helping so many people reach for their full potential as a life coach, specifically with her Master Coach certification from Learning Journeys. She founded an organization called Venerable Women in 2013, and it has become her passion, finding, affirming, and encouraging venerable women. Dawn co-wrote a previous book, Delicious Conversations, and was co-host for a couple years of a radio program by the same name. Don Morningstar joins us today by phone from the Twin Cities, Minnesota. Don, welcome to Spirit in Action. Thank you, Mark. It's my pleasure to be here. We're almost neighbors. I mean, you're only, what, 75 miles away over in St. Paul? Do you get over to Eau Claire periodically? Absolutely, I do. I think of Eau Claire as my home away from home. I actually spend more time there than just about any place other than St. Paul because of my affiliation with Reverend Sandra McKinney, who was the minister at Unity of Eau Claire. And because I believe in transparency, I'll mention that Sandy McKinney, she's also on the board for Northern Spirit Radio. So this is almost family right now talking to you, Don. (laughs) I think so, too. I really do. And you really could not have had a better person than Sandy to come on to your board. And I'm sure you already know that. She's an extraordinary human being. And she's one of those people. She says she's going to do something. She does it, and she does it well. And she's also exceptional in that she actually likes being at committee meetings. Very few people say that. (laughs) (laughs) I know. (laughs) But you're here today, Don, because you've written a book just recently called Venerable Women, Transform Ourselves, Transform the World. I think we're going to name Sandy McKinney as one of those venerable women. I have a great circle of them in my life, and they've influenced me tremendously. How did you get into the idea of venerable women? Well, I was really inspired by a quote that I heard the Dalai Lama say at the Vancouver Peace Summit in 2009. He said that the world will be saved by the Western woman. And my heart was enlisted when I heard him say that. I just felt like I wanted to do what I could to help make his words come true. Then I went on to think, well, 
in order to transform the world, you know, the, the world around us, it's really essential that we transform our own world. That was what got me thinking about this idea of transform ourselves and transform the world. And by transforming ourselves, we do transform the world. So that's how the idea came about. And then I guess we could also talk about the idea of venerable women itself. Like, where did I get that word, venerable, and what was that all about? We will go there directly, but actually, when you quote the Dalai Lama, you know, the world will be saved by Western women, I'm imagining that some folks might say, yeah, well, that's Wonder Woman or it's Supergirl. That's who's going to do the saving. Clearly, you have a very different conception of what's needed. Yes, I do, and thank you for pointing that out. I was a little, let's say, concerned when I saw the word saved in that quote originally because I thought, my goodness, that is a very big undertaking for one human to save another at anything. So you're right, it was that Wonder Woman idea, and I thought, well, that's not really going to work for us, so what else could he have meant by that? So I actually went to the dictionary and looked up the word save, and when I saw that it means emancipate and free and liberate, then I started to think about it in a different way. I had been a master certified life coach in private practice for many years, over 20 years, nearly 25 really. During that time, I worked with both men and women, yet I primarily ended up working with women and women's circles in particular. And during that time, I was really focused on in those days, people like me who are life coaches were encouraged to brand ourselves. Like, for example, in my case, since I have such a, an unusual name, Dawn Morningstar, and by the way, that is my given name, it was recommended that I do all of my business dealings as Dawn Morningstar LLC, and that was fine for a while. But then about five years ago, I got this calling to focus more on the women I'm serving rather than my own name. So then I thought, well, who are those women? How would I describe them? And I thought of words like wise women, mature women. I felt like maybe spiritually mature women or spiritually awake women. I even for a while thought, well, maybe it's women of a certain age, even though women do not like it when we say women of a certain age. Most women don't. So I asked the universe, what word would describe the women whom I want to serve? And the word that just dropped in front of me was venerable. And I, I have to say, I wasn't even 100% sure what it meant myself. I thought I knew. I thought it felt like maybe a holy person. But then I looked up the definition of that. Here I am back at the dictionary again. I love words. And I found that venerable means worthy of honor and respect by virtue of wisdom and experience. And that really felt right to me. And then I added the word love to that definition. So venerable women are worthy of honor, love, and respect by virtue of their wisdom and experience. That is how I landed on that word and claimed it. So you're doing coaching, life coaching, and some men, some women, but feeling this calling. And calling is a very interesting word, a word I'm used to using as a Quaker. 
a calling, a leading. And this prompts from somewhere bigger than just the individual. Where do you think your calling came from? What a beautiful question. I know exactly where the calling came from. When I was back in coaching school, I learned that one of the highest ways to serve is to figure out what your promise for the world is. And I still get chills when I think about asking myself, what is my promise for the world? What am I promising the world I will give to the world in the ways that I can? The coaching instructor I had, who well, she was also the founder of the coaching school that I went to, an extraordinary woman named Ruth Godfrey. She and I co-authored a book together about some of these concepts, too. But, you know, she really said it's important to do something in the world that is bigger than you. It's something that it's a way you can serve in the world and something that really ignites your own passion. It's something that you've heard the expression you would do even if you weren't being paid. And it's something that you feel is really connected to your divine purpose. And that promise for the world, then it's something you may start yourself, but then the idea is that that goes on bigger and longer than you. You know, it goes on in a bigger way than the individual who starts it, and it goes on for longer after they're gone. So it's that idea of a legacy, and that really appealed to me. And I think maybe that's what the calling was for me about five years ago, to look more clearly at what my promise for the world is and how am I presenting that, how am I being that, how am I living that and sharing that in the world. Yes, and so this leads you down a path which arrives at Venerable Women, which, by the way, folks, there's a website, venerablewomen.com. More about that in just a moment. I wanted to share my own experience about this because for a number of years, I worked exclusively as a computer programmer consultant. And mind you, it's work I can do. I can do well enough. I'm adept at it. And sometimes I enjoy parts of the work, but it was not my calling. There was no question. I was not going to be doing it if I was not getting paid. So I sat down with a group of people, and the way that Northern Spirit Radio started was there's a process in Quaker tradition, which is called a clearness committee. I had a clearness committee, and we were sitting, and the clearest vision I could enunciate for myself of the work that I was called to in the world was to be the old man who sits on a bench in the middle of the town and everybody drops by who needs to talk. It could be a kid, it could be another old person, it could be anybody, but that's it. And that's what led to Norton Spirit Radio. So you've been doing coaching, you're a master coach, life coach. You've been doing this with men and women. And do you exclusively work with women now or almost exclusively? No, that's an interesting question that I I really do get a lot. As a matter of fact, toward the end of my book, I have a PS to men letting them know that the reason that I chose to focus on women at this time is because it's kind of for practical reasons in a way. One is that I am a woman, so I understand some of the challenges and gifts certainly that women have. And I found that over the years, even though I still have male coaching clients right now, yet I felt a calling to serve women because I feel that historically and culturally in these times, 
women are still disrespected in ways that men are not. And I felt a desire to do my part in helping women to see their own self-worth and value. And that became an inspiration to me because coaching people for all these years, I began to see patterns emerging. I don't like to generalize man this and woman that because it's so much different and bigger than that. And it really... I think, does a disservice, and yet I have to have a way to talk about it, so I'll do the best that I can. And that is that, you know, there's an example that I've used that kind of describes this situation. So if there are two people, if there's a man and a woman who both find out about a job opening, and the woman might be relatively well-qualified, and the man might be relatively well-qualified, the man will throw his hat in the ring and say, yep, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give that a try. Whereas the woman, in many cases, feels like she has to know the job 100% in order to even apply. And in my book, I do talk about some of the reasons why that happens. And that is because of something that is called the confidence gene, that you know, many men, because of their upbringing and history, are more confident to try things. And because women lack that, it keeps them, it holds them back. So I felt that that is an area that I could help women with because I've seen it in my own life and I've seen it in the, I would say hundreds, but I really have coached thousands of women over the years in all the different circles and teaching and speaking and all of that. So I really did feel compelled to share some very specific ways that women could do better in the world. To go back to the Dalai Lama's statement, in order for women to save the world, they have to save their own world. They have to be feeling empowered and respected in their own lives in order to go out and you know have that high quality of giving. So that was really part of the reason, that probably the main reason that I decided to focus on women. And the other is that studies bear this out, that when women do better, everyone around them does better as well. And so in a way, in many ways, by serving women, it is serving the men in their lives and the children in their lives and making things better for everyone, really for everyone. And so I have promised several men, and I intend to keep this promise, that one of my next books will be Venerable Men. And the way that I'll write that book is by interviewing men who really are committed to living these higher principles themselves so that we can learn from men how they're doing it. You know, your point about women improving the world around them, when women improve, the society improves, that one is really widely documented. And it's a principle, I believe, that's used very widely by micro-lending enterprises. That yes. Yeah, you, you fund the women, and wow, their children, the men, the, everything in the community improves. Yes, and that's where I got some of my statistics from exactly. As you know, Don, I'm a man. And so I've lived as a man all my life. 
I can't fully understand what it is to be a woman because there's so much in our society that binarily assigns me here. Just last week at the men's group I go to, I put the question to the men and asked them to answer it. It says, I know I'm a man because. How do I know I'm a man? What does that mean? I grew up in an age where it was important to tear down the barriers between men and women. Yes, men can be strong, women can be strong. Men can be fast, women can be fast. Men can be emotional, women can be emotional. We can both do it. There's not barriers between those two. Is there anything that you identify as uniquely what makes a venerable woman a woman who's venerable as opposed to a man who's venerable? Well, that is a delicious question. I would say that in writing the 12 Venerable Attitudes, which we will get to, that is the foundation of the entire book, the 12 Venerable Attitudes that later became, people started calling them the V-Attitudes, just for short. And as a sidebar, I thought that was kind of funny because I was raised Catholic and we used to study the B-Attitudes. So uh, here I have the V-Attitudes in my life. So when I started looking more deeply at these 12 venerable attitudes that I thought were for women, I see that men and women can practice them. It's not an exclusive thing to women. I think it's just that I wanted to point out to women, you have this inside of you. And I think it's also important to say that, as you just said, I'll echo it back to you, that men and women have both feminine and masculine traits. And that's how we're wired. And it's wonderful. And I think that's where we have a great opportunity. I'm a real fan of the concept that Rianne Eisler has about this very topic. She's the author of The Chalice and the Blade and so many other phenomenal books. She talks about the concept of linking the masculine and the feminine. I really like that idea. Because to say that men and women should be equal, that doesn't feel right to me because they're not the same. We show up differently. We, we process differently in the world in certain ways. And I don't like the idea of a hierarchy. I've had some men, as a matter of fact, at the reading I just did in Napa Valley just a few days ago, a man said, well, I think you know, the world's in kind of a mess right now and women should run the world. And I said, well, I respectfully disagree with you. I don't think women should run the world. I believe that a healthy version of masculinity and femininity linked is what should rule the world. That would be balanced. That would be harmonious. That would be beautiful. You know, there is this odd thing. Rwanda, which we mainly know for the genocide that happened back there in 1994, Part of their path to healing has been a stronger emergence of uh, feminine power there, such that I think half of their parliament or congress, whatever they call it there, is female right now. And so I think that they're on the way to just what you're talking about. And it's so needed because the world does have some very important parts that need saving. And clearly the genocide was one of the manifestations of part of it gone awry. So they're getting the balance back. Do you see it as happening elsewhere too? So I watched Michael Moore's movie, Where to Invade Next, and 
he was really presenting some good information about Finland and how I believe it was their boards of directors and or their governments can't be less than 40% of either sex in, in, so that they can create some kind of balance. And so is that what you recall too, Mark? That, that's right, that the percentage of men or women cannot decrease below 40%. So that if it was 56% women, that's okay. But 62% women would not be okay because then men would drop below 40 Of course, I don't know, in the, in the days of non-gender binaries, I'm not sure that you can count everybody <laughs> one or the other. But, right, right. But yeah, right. but that's an amazing thing they're doing in Finland. Yes. And I, I believe that the idea that Rianne Eisler talks about of this, this idea of linking, it really is to bring more perspective into things, you know, a, a more balanced perspective or perspective representative of both the masculine and the feminine. And why wouldn't we do that? It just makes sense. <laughs> And actually, you know, Spain has adopted a similar thing in 2007. They, they have an equality law. So this is really happening around the world. There's a change that's coming. Well, the change is here. And that is another reason that I believe that without me knowing about the timing of my book, I really do believe that it has showed up on the planet at a very good time. And I'm seeing that more and more because at these readings, I committed to doing 50 talks in 50 weeks to share a message of transformation and hope for women so that in turn, women could serve in greater ways. At these talks, I'm very blessed to get to hear perspectives from people over and over. And what I hear more than anything else is this book could not have come at a better time. It's interesting because I thought that would be for my audience tends to be women in their 40s through 60s. At least that's what it has been and up and up. Yet what's happening now is younger women in their 20s and 30s are just latching onto this message in really big ways. And a lot of times it's their mothers or grandmothers who are telling them about this book so that the women can, let's see, how did one woman put it? Oh, this 120-something woman, she said, I want to skip over all the pain and the stuff you older <laughs> women had to go through, and I want to get right to the happy and peaceful. And I thought that was just wonderful. And I said, yep, well, we did that on your behalf. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's been a really pleasant thing to have happen, you know, to have my message go out there. And by the way, as we know, nothing that we put out there in the world is brand new. I mean, it's, it's all really ancient wisdom and internal wisdom. It's really just a matter of putting it out there in a fresh way, I think, that people are, are ready for or maybe even longing for. Well, there's a lot of longing, and some people, I think that many of us feel almost desperate from time to time, and that that's probably a, a misfocus on our part, because as we know, if you focus on the one little part of your body that itches or has an owie, you tend to make it worse if you rub it too much or something, whereas the whole may be that 
there's health and well-being going on. So our focus is very important, and that's part of the V-attitudes, of course, that you talk about as well. Before we start talking about the attitudes and such, I wanted to pursue a couple more lines because you read the dictionary definition of venerable. I think it's also important to be experiential and to look at the flip side of it. So while we can admit that venerable women are a desirable thing to have, there must be something then that prevents people from being venerable. So what is it that we want to encourage, support, adding in that pre-venerable people, women in particular, have. What's the divide between non-venerable and venerable? Well, the way I look at it is I believe that all beings, all humans, men and women, are venerable just by the very nature of being gifted this life as humans. And so I believe that we're all venerable, and I think that the thing that might be missing from that is that we either forget that or it gets drummed out of us or sometimes we need to just dust off those concepts that let us know that we are venerable. I think that it's really just a matter of awareness of how we are already wired to be extraordinary human beings and to be profoundly honorable. I believe this is a time in the world, if ever there was one, to elevate ourselves, to elevate ourselves in the ways of being honorable, doing honorable things, seeing ourselves that way, acting in those ways. I believe that that's what's being called for and that's what truly will save us all, is if we stand in those higher principles and practice them as a way of being and acknowledge them in one another and celebrate them. We're going to talk more about that in Venerable Women with Dawn Morningstar in just a moment. But first I want to remind you folks that you're listening to Spirit in Action, which is a Northern Spirit Radio production. On the web, that means you find us at northernspiritradio.org. That's O-R-G, like organic, not commercial. We are speaking with Don Morningstar here today. You can find a link to venerablewomen.com on nordenspiritradio.org, as well as links to our other guests and more information. You can find comments, and we encourage you to add your own when you visit. Please do let us know what you're thinking, because we really value two-way communication. Also, on the site, there's a place where you can donate, and that is how this full-time work is supported. It's by your donations. Please do consider clicking Donate when you come and visit us. But even more important than supporting Northern Spirit Radio is to make sure you support your local media outlets, like your community radio stations that carry this program. Community radio is so very, very important because we need an alternative voice that's going out to all of the world. Community radio provides access to the local voice, and we need to raise up voices rather than drown them out with a single monolithic national voice. So, again, remember to support first your local community radio station. By the way, Don, and we are speaking with Don Morningstar, who's over in St. Paul, Minnesota. Don, you were a DJ for a while. What kind of a DJ were you? I didn't see any information about that in detail. Oh, I was on Air America, the station over here, AM 950. This was in the early 2000s. 
I had a radio show. I was the co-DJ on the radio show that was called Delicious Conversations. And that title came as a result of a book that I had co-written with the woman who founded the coaching institute that I went to. So Delicious Conversations was a show to interview thought leaders, activists, leaders of all different areas. We would interview them and ask them things that maybe others did not know about them and, you know, what got them interested in doing what they were doing. And like you were saying a a moment ago about community radio, having those voices that are not that monolithic kind of thing that's going out there now, but to get real and have authentic conversations. And that's what the show was. So it was on for about two years. But It was very popular there for a while, and I loved doing it because I got to sit in studio in most cases. Sometimes it was on the phone, but in studio many times with people like Senator Amy Klobuchar. She was not senator yet. We interviewed Al Franken. Oh, gosh, so many, so many different people, um, educators. It was really, really a wonderful experience for me and I believe for the many listeners that we had. And what a wonderful way to collect experiences of venerable people, too, I'm imagining. I'm assuming that some of those delicious conversations were with people who struck you strongly as venerable. Oh, no question about it. And I think, you know, to get back to your question from before, because I think it's important to be clear about this, all humans are venerable. Just like I believe all babies come to the planet perfectly, and it's just our job not to mess them up. But I do believe that all people are venerable. It's just a matter of remembering that about themselves and encouraging that in each other. Because both you and I grew up Catholic, I'm wondering, Don, if this will resonate with you. When my son was born 30 years ago, his mom looked at him and said, how can anyone think that a baby comes into the world with original sin? I mean, how can they possibly (laughs) think that? And I came home from work when he was about nine months old, and she said to me, Mark, I found out. Original sin starts at nine months. She said he he just got obnoxious about something, and this look came over his face, which he would just described. It was so mean and evil and nasty. Look on this beautiful baby's face. And so she said, so nine months must be when it comes. (laughs) (laughs) That is so funny. Well, you know, some people would say that these babies learn everything they learn from us. So well, true, true. Maybe at some point your your little your little then baby son probably saw somebody could have even been on TV with a with a dark face and you know a, a dark expression and copied it. But um, it's so funny you mentioned that because I've got a book sitting here in front of me called Original Goodness <laughs> instead of Original Sin, <laughs> and Matthew it's Fox? by um, Eknas. No, no, Matthew Fox, I'm a real fan of his work, and he does a lot, he talks a lot about that as well. I think his is called Original Blessing, but this one's called Original Goodness by Eknes, 
and I don't know how to pronounce Esweron. Is that how you say it? Anyway, it's original goodness, and it's reflections on the Beatitudes. <laughs> so pretty <laughs> funny that that comes up. <laughs> yeah. There's also a statement that I recall. I assume maybe uh, 40 years ago, like me, you read Stranger in a Strange Land. Michael Valentine Smith, the main character in Robert Heinlein's science fiction novel, this kid who grows up raised by Martians and comes back to the United States. And he had a phrase... I think, in that book, I am but an egg. And so I think that in terms of venerableness, venerability, that a lot of us are still eggs waiting to mature, hatch, and find our fullness. Do you find that to be true? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I see it every day. I mean, in the people who are reading my book, and and not just from that, but just in general, I think that when people are encouraged to you know, or, or actually, I'll back up. It doesn't even start with being encouraged. Sometimes we just need somebody to see that in us if we can't see it in ourselves. I have begun speaking in women's prisons in the past few months, and that's a very different area for me. I had not coached anybody or been in any facilitator role in women's prisons, and now I'm speaking in women's prisons and halfway houses, and actually in a homeless shelter I'll be giving a talk. I think here's a perfect example. In the women's prison where I spoke just maybe a month ago, there were about 30 women there, and I was talking to them about the importance of finding their tribe, finding someone, a group with women or people. It doesn't have to be women, but in this case, I was suggesting to them to find a tribe who would hold them accountable to what they say they need to do in their lives to live happier lives, who would model good behavior for them and love them and support them and see the goodness in them. And I asked the women, raise your hand if you would like to have a group like that when you get out of prison. And out of the 30 women, 28 hands went up. Then I asked, before you came to prison, how many of you had a group like that or even a person like that in your life? Three hands went up. So I think that that's how we can begin to know that we are venerable is if we have someone who sees that in us and models that for us and encourages us to be that, I believe that's how we can do it. And I had an agent in the LA area for my book, a literary agent originally, and I ended up self-publishing because I wanted complete control over this project because it is my heart. It is so dear to me. And so I left the agent. And when I did, part of it was he was giving me some pushback on the title of my book. He said, nobody's going to know what venerable means. You need a sexier title than that. And I said, well, I respectfully disagree with you because the people who will read my book and benefit from it, they're either going to know what the word venerable means or they will look it up. I said, that's the audience I want, are people who will look that up and feel the resonance of the word. I've even had that happen where women say, I had no idea what venerable women was, but I knew I wanted to be one. So, you know, venerable means profoundly honorable, and it means worthy of love, honor, and respect by virtue of wisdom and experience. 
I just felt like, why should that only be for a handful of holy people appointed by some church or by some government thing? Why can't all of us be venerable? Why can't we all be profoundly honorable? Why can't we? Why wouldn't we want to be? So that was part of what inspired me to really stay with that word and to keep it out there so that people could see that, yes, you too not only can be venerable, but you were, you're wired to be venerable. You're, you already have all of those qualities inside of you. I'm glad you didn't just give in and say, name it sexy venerable women or <laughs> the hot women of venerable county or whatever. Right, exactly. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. But there is, there is pressure in, and they, you're supposed to listen to them because they know what works, right? Yeah. And in fairness, I mean, I, I do want to be fair in case this man ever hears this interview. He did come around and did ultimately end up agreeing that it was a good title. But it was for other reasons that I really wanted to do this on my own and to really guide it. I feel like this whole message was given to me as a very willing participant and that I am to be the guardian of it and to bring it out into the world in the purest and most beautiful ways that I can. And so that's why I took the project back and, and moved forward on my own and on my own with a brilliant team of people who are volunteering right now to help me with this. So I'm really very grateful because it's gotten to be too big for one woman right now to do. So I'm, I'm really grateful for the help and the support and the love that I'm getting, getting this message out there. And I think, really, Don, fundamental to your message is that it's not about venerable women, it's venerable women. And I think there is something about women's culture which supports community better than masculine culture. There's an extra level of testosterone and competitiveness that's in most male culture. And mind you, I go to two men's groups each week, and we challenge, support, and honor each other. So I know about community with men, but still the mainstream community of men is to fight with one another. There's a lot more of that going on. I'm competing. So it makes sense that you'd have a community of women making venerable women Yes. Well, gosh, there's so much to say about what you just said. You know, I believe that the masculine, the divine masculine attributes and the divine feminine attributes are the highest version of humanity. And when they're in balance, they're both needed. The masculine and the feminine are both needed. I think that Perhaps what's happened, not perhaps, what has happened is that the masculine has gotten out of balance over the past, I, I don't know how many years, hundreds, thousands, I don't know. It's gotten out of balance, and that hasn't benefited anyone, including the men. I think that getting everything back into some kind of a healthy representation or a healthy, healthy expression is probably the better way to say it is what will help us all. So, for example, I would imagine that there are times where competitiveness is a necessary attribute. It's just that if it's competing by walking over people and hurting them, that's not a good way to be. That doesn't benefit anyone. So I think that any of these attributes, when they're out of balance, they don't work, including on the feminine side. One thing that comes to mind is women's feelings and emotions. You know, you'll hear 
sometimes a man will say to a woman, don't be so emotional, you know, and if male or female emotions are out of balance and not authentically experienced, they're unhealthy and they don't work and they do cause problems. But when feelings are felt authentically and emotions are expressed in healthy ways, that's great for everyone. So I think on both sides of the masculine and the feminine, we could look at when those attributes are in balance and when they're not and, you know, how that shows up and really doesn't help anybody when they're out of balance. So the idea is how can we get everything back in balance? And it sounds like your men's group, what did you say to challenge? What was the other thing, challenge? Challenge support, and honor. I love that. See, I get chills when you say that. If all men did that, we would be in such a better place than we are right now, such a better place. And so, you know, it's a grassroots thing, and I think that's what we're being called to do. I think that I believe wholeheartedly that this election, this American presidential election that we had back in November, is a real call to come up higher than where we've ever been before, individually and in small groups, in grassroots ways, and, you know, from this groundswell. And I believe that that's going to be a more sustainable way to be long-term anyway. So it's not looking for this leadership and authority on the outside. It's looking for the inner author. And again, the person we're speaking with is Dawn Morningstar. She is an author, author of Venerable Women, Transform Ourselves, Transform the World, website venerablewomen.com. And you'll find that on nordenspiritradio.org. Because I love your laugh, Dawn, I have to tell you a little bit story about balance. And part of my thought is that imbalance is a normal part of nature. The pendulum swings. And so as much as it hurts when it swings away from a position that we identify as good, sometimes that's a correction for overswinging in an opposite direction. You never know. You just, I don't sweat the pendulum swings as much as I used to in my youth. But one of the things that we have observed over the centuries was a swing towards male power. And as you mentioned at the very beginning, some things that are power that women have and attributes, the, those of venerable women, have been put down by men's culture over some centuries. So about 30 years ago, I was at a national Quaker gathering called Friends General Conference Gathering, and we had a keynote speaker, Sonia Johnson. You maybe have heard the name. She's an ex-Mormon, feminist, lesbian eventually, so she was on the cutting edge as far as speaking out as an ex-Mormon in this case, but she's speaking to a group of Quakers. And she told us about feminine culture and masculine culture. And basically what she said, and this was an overcorrection of the pendulum, I would say, on her part, is that feminine culture is everything we can identify as good, is love, nurture, healing, all of that kind of thing. And male culture is all about fighting and this. And that doesn't mean all men are like that, but that's masculine culture as it's identified. And she, I'm oversimplifying some of what she said because she had an hour to speak and I'm saying in a couple of minutes. But at the end of the evening, she did something that both smarted and it made me laugh. She said, I understand there's a lot of good Quaker men here in the audience who are not with the male culture of dominance and force and, and violence. So I want to do something to recognize those men who are here tonight. She said, I hereby pronounce you all honorary women. 
Oh, my. (laughs) (laughs) So do you groan or do you laugh? And I chose to laugh. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Well, if I were a man, I'm not sure how I would feel about that. Oh, my gosh. It all depends on how much your ego is involved in it. Yeah, exactly. That's true of everything. (laughs) When I let go of my ego involvement there. Yes, I groan a little bit, but I also laugh. I say that was a very smart move because a lot of women have had to put up with exactly that same thing. Oh, she does that job as well as a man. I mean, now, what kind of compliment is that? <laughs> right, right. Well, it's interesting you say that because I was just at a retreat in Mount Shasta, California, and one of the men that I met there was a feminist writer, a male from the 70s, and he was a professor Uh, He's retired now, and I had just a very brief time to speak with him, and he had heard that I had written a book and that it was, you know, called Venerable Women, and so we we had a very brief conversation, and I said, so do you think that I've made a mistake by focusing this book specifically on women? Do you think I should have included men? I should have made it for men? And he said, my dear, almost all books have been written for men or by men and, you know, throughout history. He said, I think it's fine. (laughs) So I thought that that was a sweet way to think about it. The major content to the book, Venerable Women, is about two-thirds of the book. It's part four in the book, Venerable Living. It's the Beatitudes, the 12 Beatitudes, and you talk about them. And I'm going to do something very abnormal, and I'm not going to really talk about them right now. There's two-thirds of the book, and people can pick up Venerable Women, Transform Ourselves, Transform the World by Don Morningstar. And you can immerse yourself in that and experience the growth of these beatitudes in your own life and the enhancing of your state as a venerable person, venerable woman. What I would like to do, though, is invite people to go onto my website and they can get a copy of the 12 Beatitudes for free, even if they don't buy the book. So, folks, you can go to VenerableWomen.com and you can get a printout you can have for yourself in front of you the 12 Beatitudes, and you'll find them helpful as touchstones because we all need reminders. And when I talked about the men's group, you know, challenge, support, and honor, we all can use gentle hands and sometimes strong hands that keep us focused where we really want to be focused. For certain. And the Beatitudes can serve that purpose. But let me ask you about a couple more things, Dawn, before we have to hang up. Number one, you founded Venerable Women back in, I think it was 2013, and VenerableWomen.com is a site that talks about your work, Venerable Women. And I say your, that's the plural of you, because it's not just you. But there's more work coming, and there's actually a foundation that you're working on. Could you talk about that? I would love to. I am thrilled to say that we have met with a nonprofit attorney last week. What we're doing is we are creating the Venerable Women Empowerment Foundation. That foundation exists to support what I call circle keepers. Circle keepers are women in this case because we're going to focus initially on the women's circles. So that these women coming out of prison or halfway houses will have this tribe that I had talked about earlier on. And the circle keepers will use the 12 venerable attitudes as a way to inspire the women in these circles. And so the foundation will exist to help 
supplement the circle keepers so they can be paid for the work that they're doing and so that the participants, the venerable participants, we call them our VPs, that they can be able to go to these different kinds of groups. The reason I'm really excited about this is, you know, I've talked a lot about life coaching, and there are different levels of life coaching, and I believe that the the way that I was trained is a very high level of life coaching because it accesses each person's internal wisdom, and it's not about advice giving or anything like that. It's about really living from that higher place within. And that's why I'm excited to have these circles out there so that when these women leave prison or leave the halfway house that they have a place to go. Many of these circles and individual life coaching was really only for women who could afford to pay a pretty penny to have a life coach. And that always seemed unfair to me. And yet the people doing that work, the coaches and the healers and so on, everybody needs to make a living so that this can be a bona fide profession. That's what I committed to doing with this foundation is paying the circle keepers a respectable pay for what they're doing and allowing those women who, in many cases, the ones who need this help the most can't afford it at all and so that they could be able to do that. And then we know that we are serving these women so that they can go out into the world and make better lives for themselves and those around them. So the foundation will also, in addition to this education piece and this support piece, will also be able to provide materials for women. It can be things like books or other retreats. It doesn't have to be just venerable women things. But we really want women to have a place to go so that they can continue to come up higher in their own lives. And that's what the Venerable Women Empowerment Foundation will do. And if people want to track down and be involved in and connect with the Venerable Women Empowerment Foundation, how do they do that, Dawn? For now, the best thing to do would be to go on to the VenerableWomen.com website and just send an email. Just reach out to us in an email. Another way is Dawn at VenerableWomen.com and letting us know about their interest in the foundation. And then the moment the foundation is ready, which it's, everything goes according to plan, it should be in February, in late February. So that way we can let people know. But either that or they can just check back on the website. So we'll keep the VenerableWomen.com in place so that that entity can support the foundation as well. There's two more things I want to check with you, Dawn. One of them is, uh, in glancing through your site, I noticed the name Gina Satoli, and I interviewed her for Song of the Soul years ago. I don't remember exactly how long ago it is. But I understand that she's responsible for co-writing a theme song for Venerable Women. Yes. Well, she did the lioness's share of the work because... She wrote most of the lyrics. I helped out just a tiny bit. And then Gina collaborated with Marshall Davis, who I believe wrote the music. We'll have to double-check on that. But I know that Gina wrote the lyrics and some of the music as well. So, yes, that's the Venerable Women theme song, which is really wonderful. It's right on the homepage of VenerableWomen.com website. And Gina is an amazing person. You Remember, you can listen to her Song of the Soul interview that I did with her those years ago, just by coming to NorthernSpiritRadio.org. Yes, I respect and I, I adore Gina Satoli. She 
has extraordinary energy. She is very talented. And she's been committed to supporting everyone coming up higher for a very long time. And her cabaret of consciousness is fabulous. And she'll be doing that in February. She'll be performing that at Breakaway Arts and Breakaway Arts Cafe in February. And she'll actually, Gina will be singing three songs based on three of the Beatitudes that I'll be doing a talk on at Breakaway Arts on February 9th. And that's in Hastings, Minnesota. So if anyone's available to attend that, that would be lovely. Then you'll get to hear Gina sing and learn even more about the Venerable Women book. I'll try and include a link to that on the Norton Spirit Radio site, so Breakaway Arts Cafe. One last question before we go, Dawn, and that is, what is your vision that you can see from this point? I mean, we we usually see the next step. We can't see the mountaintop as we climb, right? But you have a vision of a world where venerability and venerable women are raised up to a higher vibrational level. What does the world look like? How does it look different? What do you expect would be different in this world that you're moving us toward? More joy. We are here on this earth, I believe. I used to think we were here to learn lessons, and and yes, maybe we are here to learn some lessons, but I really believe that we are here to have an experience of humanity with its feelings and emotions and sensuality and joy, the sheer joy of being a human. I believe that that's what we will see more of, and that is a good thing for everyone because the more happy people there are in the world, the greater everything goes. And why wouldn't we want that for our brothers and sisters? I am committed to doing my part in making that happen because I want everyone to have a chance to be joyful. And I think it's been said, and I'm trying to remember <laughs> for sure what the exact quote is, joy is the infallible sign of the presence of God. I think that's true, and there's different ways of putting that into language, but I think that's your aspiration, and, and I think that's where your work leads us. And so I'm so joyful that you are here today with us for Spirit in Action, and I'm so joyful that your work is transforming the world in the way it is. Thanks so much for joining me today, Don. Thank you. I feel blessed by this interview, and thank you, Mark, for the work that you are doing as well. Again, we've been speaking with Dawn Morningstar. She is author of a new book, Venerable Women, Transform Ourselves, Transform the World. You can find her site, venerablewomen.com, and you can follow up on the Venerable Women Empowerment Foundation in February at the Brickway Arts Cafe in Hastings, Minnesota. Her and some wonderful music and much more. You can find all those links on NorthernSpiritRadio.org. We're so grateful to have her here today. Thanks also to Andrew Jansen for today's assistance in production. And we look forward to seeing you all next week for Spirit in Action. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. This Spirit in Action program is an effort of Northern Spirit Radio. You can listen to our programs and find links and information about us and our guests on our website, northernspiritradio.org. Thank you for listening. I am your host, Mark Helpsmeet, and I welcome your comments and stories of those leading lives of spiritual fruit. May you find deep roots to support you and grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. 
With every voice, with every song.